This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, it's Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. I'm excited to talk about belonging and place and art and the laundry this week with my friend Sean Smucker. Sean is an author. He's co-written and ghostwritten several books, as well as penned his own nonfiction and novelistic works. He's also a busy father to six, husband of one, and we laugh in this episode. You'll want to listen, not just to hear about his laundry routine in a family of eight, but to think about how do we actually practice presence in small ways. Even if we're in the midst of a city like Sean is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, even as we try to be present to our neighbors, you'll hear him talk about his friendship with Muhammad. And particularly, you can go ahead and read more about that in his book, Once We Were Strangers. And you'll hear about how he is encouraging his wife's own writing life as well. It's a beautiful conversation. You'll want to stick around for one small step to help us at the end of the episode to think more concertedly and practically and in our bodies about how we too can choose presence. Because even if you don't have six children and a busy life like Sean does, you'll want to actually see how you can connect those dots between the things that matter and your everyday holy life, wherever it may take you. So here's my conversation with Sean. Well, I am very excited today to welcome my friend Sean Smucker to the Finding Holy podcast. He is a writer of various genres and a great friend and human being. I'm so excited that you're here, Sean, to talk today. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you. It's great. Awesome. So Sean is a novelist. He's written a work of nonfiction. And as we're talking about connecting the dots between the things that matter in our everyday holy lives, I wanted him to come on to talk firstly a little bit about his most recent book, Once We Were Strangers, where he talks about befriending a Syrian refugee and how that changed him and changed the life of his family. So could you just give us maybe a one sentence? What is the book about? Yeah, so the book is about, as you said, um, me becoming friends with a Syrian refugee who was resettled here in our small city of Lancaster. And, you know, when I wrote the book, I think I I really approached it wanting to tell his story. I thought it would be sort of an action adventure, you know, him leaving Syria and and that sort of thing. And that's part of it. But what it really became much more of was a book about friendship and uh, a lot of thoughts that I had about you know, what does it mean to really be a friend and, and how, how am I as a Christian, um, loving my neighbor? Mm. And so how did that, how did that, the idea of, you know, loving your neighbor and, you know, welcoming the stranger, these sorts of big ideas we talk about in scripture, what did they look like for you as you befriended Muhammad? Yeah, I think, 
Um, when I first met Muhammad, I, I thought, because I was volunteering with Church World Service, and so I sort of figured that it would look a lot like, you know, me just doing things for him or helping him out as he needed, if he needed a ride somewhere or mm-hmm. if he needed some furniture or, you know, maybe some cash. I don't know. I just kind of thought it would be me helping with needs that he had. Yep. Um, but I realized pretty quickly that uh, when a, when a refugee is resettled, especially here in Lancaster, there are so many organizations and so many volunteers that those sorts of needs are pretty much taken care of. Um, mm-hmm. There's usually someone to help with most of those things. And, and so what Muhammad was really looking for was friendship. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I wasn't sure that I had time for necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got to know Muhammad and I started to, um, yeah, just get to know him as a person, you know, I realized that we had a lot in common. We were both dads. We were both just trying to make our way, trying to give our kids, um, you know, what they needed. And that really drew me to him. Mm, yeah. So what was it that kind of helped you get over yourself and your schedule and your time and your ideals for how to spend your day as a writer to invest in friendship that could be awkward or challenging? Well, that's hard. I'm, uh, my personality is not someone who just stops by other people's houses, you know, unannounced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that was kind of what he was looking for. You know, he, he and his family, they came from a culture where people did just stop by or, mm-hmm. you know, he would spend hours and hours with his friends on Saturdays, drinking coffee and um, catching up. And so, yeah, it was, um, I don't know. It wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't really, didn't come naturally to me, mm-hmm. but I, I just felt like in that, for that time of my life, it was, it was important for me to um, to grow a little bit in that area, you know, mm-hmm. and to to be okay with someone else depending on me, someone else wanting me to stop by the house and see them. Um, and so I tried to embrace that. And I, I talk past tense a lot because Muhammad has since moved out to Michigan with his family. So yeah. he doesn't live in the city here anymore. But I, I look back on that time now and I realize how much I learned about really being a true friend and not hiding behind my busyness, Mm. um, which is what I, which is what I often tend to do. Right. Yeah. And so how has, has that gone into your other relationships or how have your other friendships deepened because of your friendship with Muhammad? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I'm learning that, I mean, maybe this isn't the case for everybody, so I'll try not to generalize, but I, you know, where I live, people are very busy. And I don't think that most of my friends, most of my American friends, even want or think they want the type of friendship that Muhammad's looking for. Mm. You know? Like if I would start just stopping by my friends' houses all the time, <laughs> it would be like that was crazy. You know, right. like I, <laughs> what's wrong so with you, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's it is hard to to kind of transfer that stuff because of the cultural expectations mm. being so so radically different. Now, I think one thing that I have tried to do and I and this is something for this year that I'd really like to do more of is just getting to know the neighbors around me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know sort of along the lines of finding holy in the suburbs like mm-hmm. you know being willing to stop mm-hmm. and I think in the city it's a little bit easier because we don't have garages you know right. so you do cross paths a fair amount with people as they're going into their door as they're mm-hmm. walking on the sidewalk and 
um, to just stop and say mm-hmm. hi and, you know, mm-hmm. how you doing, get to know their names. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of, that. that's where it's transferred for me. Mm, yeah, I love that. And that's so challenging too, right? Because it's so easy to, to find, you know, the friend that really meets our needs or, you know, that kind of hits all the right buttons rather mm-hmm. than the awkward in-between conversations yeah. with people. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think too about this idea of, embodied um, faith and what does it look like, uh, you know, to be present to the people who are actually around us. Um, And yeah, Jesus did that all the time, right? And sometimes there were annoying people and awkward people and, you know, he rebuked Peter and what are you thinking about? Um, So I think a lot of it is just slowing down. And Sean and I were chatting briefly before we started the podcast recording and he mentioned the idea of, you know, kind of detoxing and um, and being quiet about some of these sorts of things that we can just kind of get busy about. Mm-hmm. So I'd love, yeah, if you wanted to chat maybe a little bit about what are some of those ideas and goals about how do we slow our bodies down, you know, mm-hmm. to see yeah. the neighbor um, yeah. so that we can begin to actually in our flesh and blood live out the gospel story. Some of the practices that I've tried to take on this year um, involve just trying to be less, um, less big picture, like less big group of people oriented and more individual, more focused mm-hmm. on the individual. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so I, I've started journaling again daily, mm-hmm. which I haven't done for a while yeah. um, and which I'm loving. Uh, every morning I write a, a note to somebody like another writer. Mm-hmm. Or which I got one and was yeah, so touched. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited <laughs> to be on yeah. that. But it just and, like, wow, someone took the time to write me a note and just to be like, hey, I'm thankful for you. It was, th- yeah, it was beautiful. No, but I think, thank you. But I think it's really, it, you know, it's so rewarding on both ends because, you know, when I take that and honestly, it's like, how long does it take? Five or six minutes, right. you know, to write a note. But instead of, it's so anti what I've been doing, which is get on Facebook, mm-hmm. post a status that, you know, hundreds of people see, and maybe dozens of people like, and then you go on with your day. And, and there's something in that exchange that, that just misses the mm-hmm. target. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd be able to put my finger on it, but when it comes to those little notes, it's like for five minutes of my day, I'm thinking about one person and just trying to encourage them, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when they get that note for as long as it takes them to read it, and then for as long as they think about it, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's that one-on-one connection mm-hmm. um, that that we've just kind of given up, you know, mm-hmm. in exchange for how many likes can I get? How many shares can I get? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just been, I don't know, it's been really nice. It's been, mm-hmm. a, it's been a huge relief. So I think those are some of the practices. And then I'm hoping that that will, you know, start to take hold more in my normal life too, Mm. just in the way that I interact with my neighbors, like we talked about, or Mm -hmm. with my family, you know, to to really I wanted to ask you about that because you are a busy dad of several children. You have six, right? Yep. Six kids. Six. Wow. You rock. I have four. So (laughs) six is like a whole nother level. But yeah, I, I, I would love to hear if you have any thoughts. Um, I mean, I know I parent often like group, like herd mentality, right? You know, and so there's always someone complaining and there's someone falling apart. And it's easy when you even just see the group of your own family, your own kids yeah. to not be like, well, this kid actually is, is doing really well or, um, 
Yeah. So I'd love to hear, I don't know if you have some wisdom or thoughts or just practices of seeing your children and seeing your wife too. Um, we can get to that and encouraging her writing career too has been part of this next chapter of your life. But I'd love to hear maybe how, what does those practices look like in your family? Well, you know, I think um, what we're always constantly battling against is, um, well, it's battling against, but also encouraging. So like, I think the challenge is technology, um, you know, and the role that it plays in our lives and especially our older two now are 15 and 14. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're in that world. Um, and we just try and have a lot of conversations about, you know, um, what, is, what, what's happening? Why are we doing the things that we do? Um, and how could we maybe do things a little bit better? Hmm. And so, you know, we're trying to encourage good practices with our phones and um, we don't watch a whole lot of TV, but just having having that communication, I think is so important. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think for us, it comes back to communication, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. the topic is. So, you know, whether you're talking sex with your older kids or whether mm-hmm. you're talking screens with your middle kids or, you know, trying to navigate toddlers and that kind of thing. Um, we try and have dinner every night, which we, which we have most nights or afternoons. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to do it super early with all the activities and everything. Right. So we try and do that as much as possible. Um, it's not, you know, it's not magic, but it's nope. just that sort of day after day, I think, of sitting mm-hmm. down together. Um, and then right now our morning schedules are consistent enough that most of us are together for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so there's a time every morning before, you know, my son Cade walks to school. It's about a mile to his public high school here in the city. So just before he leaves, we try and have a prayer time, you know, 30 seconds, say mm-hmm. a prayer and just kind of stop bring everybody together. Mm. And, you know, I hope that, I hope that it's serving us well. You know, I hope that it's, um, it's what we always try and remind each other about is uh, that, you know, I don't know if you've read um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, mm-hmm. but the whole idea of the fire, you know, like you mm-hmm. have the fire in you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really something that um, I would like my kids to walk out of the house every day remembering, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I have the Holy Spirit in me. And these are the things that that should be bringing out. So, you know, that's, that's what, that's what life looks like for us. Um, mm-hmm. But it's crazy. You know, it's um, like I said, we have toddlers four and two. And so, you know, trying to navigate naps and, <laughs> it, you know, the, I think the hardest thing is having kids across such a broad age yeah. range is like right. everybody has their own requirements, their own needs. Right. It's hard not to let the eight and not, or the nine and 10 year olds do everything that the teenagers do because they're not ready for that, but they're there and it's hard to separate, but it's also hard not to always treat the nine and 10 year olds like they're two and four year olds. And so it's, yeah, it's a challenge. I know we were just talking, (laughs) my first grader like rides his bike to school now because the fifth and fourth graders also do. And then my daughter who's just turned five, she's like, when I'm in kindergarten, can I ride my bike to school? I'm like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Yeah. And you never would have let your older kids do that, right? When they were in first grade, you're like, no way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, it's, it's really challenging to continue that kind of age appropriate one-on-one attention that those older kids get. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Parenting, man. (laughs) But I love it. You know, like here are the quiet moments, right? This moment, moments of prayer or, you know, family dinners, even if they're chaotic and hectic, that these are bookending 
our kids' days uh, to yeah. give them safe and, places. And to, and to really use, you know, whatever time you have to connect. You know, there's so many of us that in our family that we can't really have a schedule that works for everyone. So right. what Miley and I try and do is when we do have those moments, like whenever I bring my son back from um, wrestling, he's nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he always wants to stop at McDonald's. And so we stop and, yeah. you know, he can get one thing and then we sit there and we chat for a little while. And that's like, you know, that's time that I have with him that I wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise have. Um, and there's moments like that, that we try and create with, with each of the kids. So, mm. uh, yeah. That's great. You know, I think we think of our writing lives, our friendship, our religious lives, you know, as it can often be easy to compartmentalize them all. And one thing that I just love is the way that you have kind of built this authentic writerly, fatherly, you know, spiritual life that it's all mixed up together and it should be. And um, that it's all part and parcel of what it looks like to live before the face of God. So thanks. Thank you. But Thank I would, um, I'd love to hear too about the kind of this next chapter uh, for you and, you know, wanting to encourage your wife's writing. Um, you've come out with several books. You, you've done lots of things um, written for ages um, been very successful. Um, so yeah, what does it look like in this new chapter, encouraging her? And this kind of stemmed from you had a a blog post that was, you know, kind of really took hold about motherhood and writing and family life. Um, so yeah, Yeah. if you want to just maybe recap that for our listeners Mm -hmm. and then we'll chat about it. Yeah, sure. When I started writing, I'm in 2009, uh, co-writing and ghostwriting for other people, collaborating. Um, we were really in a place where it was all hands on deck. You know, we had a business that had gone under and so we moved back in with my parents and um, it was, it was a chaotic time. It was like, we're just, we just, everybody has to do what they need to do to, to keep things moving. And so I tried to get as many writing projects as I could. I was constantly working and, you know, Miley fell into the role of taking over at the house, which is, Mm -hmm. she was okay with that. She wanted to do that. Um, And we had babies at the time. And so it made sense. But I think what happened was um, we, we both just kind of fell into these roles that we had taken on during that chaotic time. And so for the next, you know, seven, eight, nine years, Mm -hmm. that's what we did. Um, And then there came a time when uh, I got, I had been in Iraq on a a trip with a co uh, a person I was co-writing a book with. And when I came back, Miley was, um, she had kind of hit the bottom as far as like this whole mom thing. And, you know, she's like, I didn't like, this isn't what I wanted for my life. Like Mm -hmm. I I wanted to be a mom, but I didn't want to be only a mom, you know, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what she had become in her eyes. And, um, also at the same time, we had this interesting conversation where our nine-year-old, um, looked at her and we had been talking about how I I said, Oh, well, mom's a writer too, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, mom, we both went to, Miley and I both went to Messiah College. We studied English. We both mm-hmm. wanted to be writers. And he was like, I thought mom went to college to be a mom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was both humorous and like. <laughs> so deflating. <laughs> yeah. And so that was kind of, it became a turning point for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some really hard, good conversations and. I realized that I had not been good at, about making time for her mm. to pursue her dreams. You know, like um, we were, we were both doing what we had to do during the day. Um, but then in the evening, it was like, we just kind of kept, we stuck to those roles, you know, mm. instead of 
instead of sharing more of the, mm-hmm. the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so um, after a few hard conversations, uh, we started to block out time for her during the week um, where she could write. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been that's been going really well. She finished writing her first novel, which wow. um, she's going to hopefully find an agent for soon. Um, and she's hoping to get her yoga certification mm-hmm. um, so she can teach yoga. Mm-hmm. So there are things like that where um, you know I think in a marriage it can it can be really easy to fall into um, just how things have always been, you know, right. because you find you find something that works. In a, in a particular season of life. Right. Um, but then I think a lot of times we're not very good, or at least Miley and I weren't very good about being open about how we weren't necessarily satisfied with the way those roles were continuing, you know, mm. into other seasons. And mm. um, so it's been really good. It's been, you know, whenever you go through these kinds of uh, changes, it's never easy. And um, it's, it's required a lot of both of us, but um, it's been really good. Mm. That's so great. Yeah. And I think it's just so encouraging to say, okay, yeah, even when we're in midlife or we're old, like we can still flex and change and shift um, that our dreams, you know, I think I've just been thinking about recently, like, you know, is this always, are we going to always be here, always doing these same same sort of things? Like, is that what kind of middle age looks like? (laughs) And just, it's encouraging to be like, no, we can still have small dreams, whether that's being present with your neighbors, whether that's you know, finishing the novel. It's just yeah. really encouraging. Yes. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yep. yeah, it's not like the enthusiasm and idealism of your 20s or something where the whole exactly. world's in front of you. It's- exactly. Right. Like, so, like, I talk to my friends from the early 30s. I yeah. still feel like I'm in my early 30s, but I talk to them and I'm like, listen, this is a, like, this will be a tough decade. The thirties yeah. are not easy, you know, yep. but, but it can be a really great time. And I think I'm starting to see the same thing for the forties where we have a little bit more stability than we had. We know mm-hmm. so much more about ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the important thing now is that we still have to be willing to take those risks that we were willing to take right. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right. um, and not just get stuck, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear, Sean, so I ask everybody what their laundry routine is. <laughs> <laughs> and some people don't have any. Some people, it mysteriously happens because their spouse does it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea behind the question, right, is that, you know, all these things matter. You know, parenting, mm-hmm. writing, calling, um, cross-cultural friendships, um, but so does the laundry. And how does mm-hmm. how does all of our big ideas relate to the laundry? So I'd love to hear your laundry routine. Yeah. So um, let's see, a few months ago, or maybe a month ago, Miley was away for like, I can't remember where she was for a weekend or something. Anyway, when she came back, so she left early mm-hmm. with our younger three to go with her parents. And then I brought the older kids later. Yeah. And so when she was gone, I realized... I really don't do the laundry enough. Like I would throw a load in every once in a while and I help fold, but we have a ton of laundry. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, four kids. Yeah. So, you know, the number of the articles of clothing that come through in a week are just (laughs) ridiculous. So what I, what I told her was, I think the laundry is something that I can do. Like I, I really think that she does so much, of the other things around the house. Um, you know, I said, let me take over the laundry. I think I can do this. And so that worked for about four weeks. Uh Um, and now I'm starting to slip again a little bit, (laughs) you know, like I was really motivated at first. Yeah. Uh, 
And, but I think the other thing is too, like we have totally different philosophies. Of laundry? So for me, yeah. Or for just me, in life. <laughs> well, mostly laundry, but yeah. other things too. Yeah. I think like I am totally fine just letting it pile up yeah. until maybe Thursday. Yeah. And then just plowing into it and right. doing, you know, doing like three loads Thursday, three loads Friday, 10 loads Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Done, you yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and she just isn't that way. Like she right. wants to keep doing it and just kind of steady it, you know, right. steady ahead. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, I but we, I just feel like we are always doing laundry. So yes. I don't know that we necessarily have a strategy aside from well, our middle two kids started going to public school this year. They were home. We homeschooled them for a while. My wife homeschooled them. Yeah. They started going to school in the fall and they have uniforms at their city school. Mm-hmm. which is actually super nice. Like it, that is nice. you don't even have to think about, you know, right. what they're going to wear. Right. But they also have a limited number of those uniforms. Right. And so they need to be washed. To keep them washed. Yeah. 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 My kids, I swear they wear like the same thing every day, even with. <laughs> yeah. What's a uniform? <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> so what's your strategy? We need some, I need some pointers. Yeah. My husband does the laundry for him and I, cause he okay. is, he's, he likes it done a certain way and I don't okay. do it right. Nice. <laughs> so he just does That's it. That's kind of how it is with Miley and I, but yeah. opposite. Right. But yeah. yeah. And he like folds it nicely. And then I'm in charge of the kids laundry and I try to do it about two or three times a week. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And I don't fold. I, we just put, they bring their baskets down. I wash mm-hmm. it. And then I put them back in their baskets and they bring it up and I should probably help mm-hmm. them learn how to fold, but I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. care. Just get in your drawers. <laughs> Yeah. Well, see, that's another reason I like to wait till the end of the week because then I just wash the stuff and yeah. put clean baskets against the wall. Yeah. And on Saturday, I'm like, okay, guys, if you want to do anything fun today, first you have to there fold the clothes. There and you so, go. I like I mean, we have four kids who can who are of folding age. Right. Um, and so they can get through a ton. You know, they can fold yeah. a ton of clothes in an hour. Yeah. So um, that, yeah, that's kind of my reasoning for waiting. But. I like it. I like that. Uh, that's a helpful thing. They get to earn yeah. fun. Fun. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Put them to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. should figure at this point with as many children as we have. So they should yeah, be. well, and you know, our, kids, <laughs> our kids are very big at helping. They, I mean, that's one thing I have to say. I don't know if it's because we've always just asked them to do things right. or what, but uh, maybe it's their personalities there, except for one. I have one who doesn't ever want to do anything, yep. but the others are more than willing to help pick up around the house, clean, vacuum, that sort of thing. Oh. So I really can't complain there. Praise God. Pretty soon you'll have them doing all the laundry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we did oh, actually yeah. have the older two doing their own laundry until they started back to school this fall. And I just thought I can do it for them. Right. So. It's a way to love them too. In the midst yeah. of all of the mm-hmm. school and hormonal changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just Yeah. One list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's yeah. been such a pleasure. Um, I'll make sure that yeah. all of the details about your books and where to find you online is in the show notes at aahales.com slash podcast. But thank you for your wisdom and your generosity. Well, thanks for inviting me, Ashley. It's always good to chat. Yes. Thank you. Take care. you enjoyed that conversation with Sean. I wanted to do a quick plug because his next book is coming out in just a few short weeks on July 16th. His novel Light from Distant Stars releases. And if you head on over to his website, seansmucker.com, 
You'll be able to pre-order the book. You'll get it the day it comes out. And as a special pre-order bonus, you'll get this gorgeous journal that he created as part of this creative process. And you'll see it from the inside out. So don't miss that. While you're there, you can also look at some of his young adult offerings, The Day the Angels Fell and The Edge of Over There, and his nonfiction book, Once We Were Strangers, which is the book we talked about, about his friendship with Muhammad. I hope then that you will take just one small step in response to this conversation with Sean. And here it is. Write a note. We talked about it briefly at the beginning of the episode, but something as small as writing a small note of encouragement to someone who needs it takes our connection into a one-on-one environment. And rather than broadcasting it on social media or following everything by likes or hearts or retweets or however we choose to measure significance, when we take connection away from the busyness of social media and we bring it back to one-on-one interaction, I think that is the sort of thing that Sean was talking about in that sort of stop by culture that he and Muhammad had developed. So write a note, encourage one-on-one conversation, look your children in the eyes, have a conversation with someone who just might need to even say, be said hello to, whatever it is, value that one-on-one conversation this week. And if you ever want to send us a note here at the Finding Holy Podcast, you can always do that at findingholypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think about these episodes and share it with a friend. Because, of course, big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.